As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. In Hillsborough's Baptist Church's original Constitution and Covenant from 1839, you might recall, as we looked at it last week for homecoming, I thought it was pretty cool to be able to just dissect that together with the church body. But from that document in 1839, two different times our founders mentioned that the church needs to be one body under one head. And also, they also said, quote, we must endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. Certainly referring to the passage from Ephesians 4. So as a church, as a local church, we need to pursue unity. We need to be one body under one head. The head referring to Jesus Christ. Now think about that command. Pursue unity. Strive for unity. Does that not sound a little bit daunting to you? Just a little bit? Not only daunting, but it's somewhat vague. Like, how do you do that? What does that mean, to be unified? Do we need to be unified on every single particular doctrine? Which doctrines, if so? What are the things that we can maybe disagree on, yet still be unified in the Spirit of God? Now, these are some big questions, and it's a very big command. I think of it like the command of the Great Commission. Go into all the world, make disciples of all nations. Preach the gospel to all creation. Massive undertaking, but similar to this command, I think there's wisdom in beginning locally. Okay, so preach the gospel to all creation. Does that mean I need to visit every 200 plus nations in the world and literally preach the gospel to them? I don't think so. How, how do we begin to do it then? If it's not that expansive, same thing with this. How do we begin to pursue unity together? I would propose that we strive for unity beginning in the local church. Now, it doesn't end there, right? And similarly, think about the Great Commission. We preach the gospel, we proclaim the message beginning here in Crozet. Does it end literally in the bounds of Crozet? No. Extend it to Charlottesville, the rest of Albemarle, even the surrounding counties, Virginia, the U.S., the nation as a whole, right? But we have to begin somewhere. This is my point. With all of these commands in the Bible, It's always lofty. It's always kind of big in in general. You have to begin somewhere. You have to start somewhere. And I would suggest that one of the areas in which we should focus on locally so that we might be united locally is our doctrine, our beliefs, our teaching. What do we believe? What do we confess? What do we hold on to as most important and and of what has significance in our lives? So for the remainder of our time today, what I want to do to, as we kind of embark on this trek of unpacking our beliefs, kind of doctrine by doctrine, what I want to do is set the stage and provide some general clarity about what is a Baptist. Now, you noticed in your, maybe you noticed in your bulletin on the, the title, I don't really pay a whole lot of attention to it, but I, sometimes I don't even open the bulletin, just to be frank, just because it's in my mind, right? It's not like I discredit the bulletin. I just 
I ought to know it. But I looked at it, and Miss Darlene slightly misheard what I suggested, the title being. And therein lies some of the clarity that I'm talking about, right? And I ask, what is a Baptist? What is a Baptist? We're going to be going over the Baptist faith and message. But before we do the faith and the message part, what is a Baptist in the first place? In this congregation, as you may be aware, everybody here represented, there's some that aren't present today, and that's, and that's all right. But this congregation is a conglomeration of many different church backgrounds. For example, and you don't necessarily need to give a hoot from where you're from, okay, but, or what, what your previous background might have been. But represented here are Methodist, Mennonite, uh, Lutheran, Catholic, Episcopalian, non-denominational, Wesleyan, Nazarene, Presbyterian, charismatic slash Pentecostal, non-Christian backgrounds, and yeah, that, that about does the list so far. And you have to ask, what is a Baptist? And before I give you my answer, and with biblical reflections, let me ask you that. Who's bold enough to take a shot at that this morning? This is a dialogue right here, this, for this moment, all right? What is a Baptist? Take a stab at it. If you were talking to a complete stranger, and they just asked you, what is a Baptist? What would you say to them? Is anybody bold enough to try And rightly so. That is, as I've asked a couple of y'all this question informally, that, that is the immediate thought goes to baptism. And rightly so, as you can see in the bulletin, right? That's what Darlene... And yes, so Baptists are known for baptism by immersion. I'll, I'll get to that in a moment. Um, but it, it's much deeper than that. And as Chris alluded to, Baptist churches are very... Megan is saying, use this mic. Is this not working? It's in and out? Okay. Um, Baptist, there's a lot of variety even among Baptists. For example, you can have a Baptist church that um, is kind of more traditional, kind of like this at Hillsboro. But there's also, I don't want to call names. It's not the church that y'all went to, I don't believe. But there's a Baptist church in Florida that puts on huge mega productions of um, all kinds of just wacky stuff like modern day plays and they play secular music during the service and there's all kinds of flashing lights and it's just bizarre. And I'm like, what on earth is that? Um, So there's a variety of Baptists. So how do you define what a Baptist is if there's such variety even among Baptist people? I would suggest it's helpful to look at the roots of where Baptists have come from. So what I want to do is share with you seven distinctives of what a Baptist is, giving biblical reflections. What's the, why are we doing this? Remember, for the sake of unity, so that we can be on the same page, Lord willing, about our identity. Who are we? Who ought we to be? What do we believe? What ought we to believe? 
seven distinctives of what a Baptist is using the Baptist acronym, so it's easy for you all to follow and catalog, right? So B-A-P-T-I-S-T, right? Beginning with B, Baptist, believe in biblical authority, all right? Biblical authority. This is from the preamble to the Baptist faith and message. The sole authority for faith and practice among Baptists is the scriptures of the Old and New Testament. Okay? Stated differently, our sole authority as a church, as people of God, as Christians, is right here. It is this book. It's not me. It's not my teaching. It's not church tradition. It is this book alone. And this is in opposition to, all right, I don't want to diss people today, per se, but we are Protestant denomination, okay? Protestant being not Catholic, all right? So in opposition to Catholics, Catholics believe in three sources of authority. Being uh, uh, the Bible, they believe, yep, God's word's the authority, yep, got that. But they also believe in tradition and also the magisterium or the teaching of the church, that these are all three equal realms of authority. They all complement one another. Baptists and Protestants um, wholesale reject that. Now, to be clear, is tradition important? Is there value we can learn from our forefathers? Absolutely. Is teaching and preaching like what I'm doing now and what I have done, is that valuable? Is that helpful to hear from a godly leader truth about God's word and what that means for life? Is that helpful? Absolutely. We don't dispute that. But it's understanding of what is the supreme authority. As Baptists, we believe it's only the scriptures. It's the only infallible authority, all right? There is church leaders, there are teachings that are binding and important, yes. But the only infallible, perfect, inerrant authority is God's word. And I like what even we find this in our founder's document, in the HBC Constitution from 1839. They said, when they were outlining their four main beliefs, they were stressing, first, we believe that the scriptures of the Old and New Testament are the revealed word or will of God and their only rule of faith and practice. Okay? This is what we believe as Baptists, biblical authority. Before I go to the A um, letter, just a quick disclaimer. These things that I'm going to share with you, they, they describe Baptists uh, definitely, but not exclusively. So in other words, you may have grown up in a context, in a denomination that's not Baptist, and you might believe a lot of these things, if not all of them. Or it may be personally, you might not adhere to a denomination per se, or you might not be bold enough to put it on a card. You might believe a lot of these things. That's okay. What I'm saying is these are all defining marks of what a Baptist is. There's some similarities with other denominations, but some of them are unique to Baptist. Biblical authority, number two, the A, autonomy of the local church. Autonomy of the local church. So in other words, Baptists believe each local congregation has the authority to govern itself. This is one of the defining marks of what a Baptist is. And I like how one person put it. Baptist churches ought to be ruled by Jesus Christ, governed by its members, led by its pastors slash elders, and served by its deacons. I like that. I think that's a wonderful summary of it. So, Baptist churches are autonomous, being independent. And in being so, we practice what's called congregationalism. 
All right, this is part doctrine, part training, part informative, all right? So bear with me. But there are three branches, three ways by which churches govern themselves. There is Episcopal, this is an order of importance. There's Episcopalian, there is Congregationalism, and then there's Presbyterian form of church government, okay? So Episcopalian, that form of church government, what does that mean? Well, that means that typically there's an archbishop or using the Catholic verbiage, there's a pope at the top, all right? And then underneath that top leader, there's other high bishops or archbishops. They use different titles per denomination. So there's one guy, then there's other multiple people over certain regions, and then other people over certain regions, so on and so forth, until you get down to the local level of a local church. So other denominations that practice that are Catholics, Anglicans, Episcopalians, Methodists, and Lutherans. They follow Episcopalian governance. The, the other end of the, spe- well, not other end of the spectrum, the other form is Presbyterian. And typically that's only, well, what? Presbyterians follow this. And it's similar in that there's a hierarchy, except it's not just one guy at the top and one, 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 one. They have a board of elders, they call it. And then there's other boards of elders over certain regions, so on and so forth, until you get to the local church where there's still another board of elders governing that local church. So what is congregationalism? That means every independent local church governs itself. Okay? Calvary Chapel, the Evangelical Free Church of America, the Southern Baptist Convention, and pretty much every non-denominational church follows congregationalism. Now, you might be wondering, all right, I I think I got that so far. So, Baptists are independent. Okay, I got that. They're governed by the congregation. I got that. What, what does that mean practically? That means Hillsborough Baptist Church, you the people, are the ones responsible for, if you will, right, to be frank, hiring and firing a pastor. Okay? In other denominations, the top guy can come in and remove or, or transfer somebody. Nobody can do that in the Baptist Church. Only the members of the church can. So you might be saying, okay, I got that. Every Baptist church is independent, but... I thought Hillsboro was somehow affiliated with the Southern Baptist Convention. What is the Southern Baptist Convention? How is that, um, what does that denomination mean? Let me try to explain it and try to be brief with it. The Southern Baptist Convention is a simply a network of churches that want to partner together for gospel ministry. The Southern Baptist Convention has no authority over us. They do not dictate what we believe. They do not dictate what we ought to do. They've got materials, they've got teaching, they've got some good resources, but they have no binding authority on the local church. The Southern Baptist Convention and other Baptist groups, they're simply a network of churches that want to partner together. Like, hey, we want to send some missionaries around the world, but we as a little church, we can't do a whole lot. But if we partner with 100 churches well then, wow, we can do a whole lot for the kingdom of God. And it's also for fellowship, so that other pastors can connect together. And one thing I'd like to do with y'all, it's, um, I guess, not too common in our tradition. Um, I'd like to read several of the different articles of faith, of the Baptist faith and message. And what I want to look at is point number 14. Alyssa, you can go to the, ought to go to the next slide. It should show up. Yeah, perfect. Um, so if you don't mind, read this with me. What, what is this? Why is it? What are we doing? 
so we can give you some context so you know what we're reading in the first place. This is the Baptist faith and message description of cooperation. In other words, what we do together, describing kind of what I've been alluding to. This will give you some clarity as to what we do and why we partner with other churches. So if you will, read it with me. Christ people should, as occasion requires, organize such associations and conventions as may best secure cooperation for the great objects of the kingdom of God. Such organizations have no authority over one another or over the churches. Their voluntary and advisory bodies designed to elicit, combine, and direct the energies of our people in the most effective manner. Then there's one more slide after this one. Members of New Testament churches should cooperate with one another in carrying forward the missionary, educational, and benevolent ministries for the extension of Christ's kingdom. Christian unity in the New Testament sense is spiritual harmony and voluntary cooperation for common ends by various groups of Christ's people. Cooperation is desirable between the various Christian denominations when the end to be attained is itself justified and when such cooperation involves no violation of conscience or compromise of loyalty to Christ and his word as revealed in the New Testament. So even right there, you might... So this isn't just about the Southern Baptist Convention and that kind of thing. This is about other ministries, too. Like, practically speaking, LifeSpring Ministry, right? Miss Gina's the representative from our church. We support a ministry that other churches, other denominations support for the sake of gospel work and gospel ministry. Same thing with Love, Inc., Love in the Name of Christ, that ministry in Charlottesville that reaches out to those um, in need of finances and of housing and that kind of thing. Many denominations partner with them. But it's for a certain end goal. And that's what we do as a church. So in sum, though we're autonomous, we voluntarily choose to partner with others of like mind for gospel ministry and fellowship. All right, this is a Baptist distinctive. P, B-A-P, priesthood of all believers. Number three, the priesthood of all believers. As Baptists, we believe that every believer... Every Christian has direct access to God, direct access to the Father. We do not need any other human to act as an intercessor. This is, again, keep in mind the context in which Baptists were born in the Protestant Reformation. This is in opposition to the typical Catholic view where you need to have the priest intercede for you in some way for your sins. Right As 1 Timothy 2.5 talks about, There is one God and one mediator between God and mankind. Who is that? Jesus Christ. And as Christians, we have the spirit of Christ in us, so we can all go directly to the Father. Is it good to pray with a pastor? Yes. Is it good to pray with other Christian leaders? Yes. But we do not need to have somebody else intercede for us on our behalf in terms of having direct access to God. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 also states, You, you people, you people of God, you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, right? We are all priests in the sight of God. T, 
B-A-P-T, two ordinances. Baptists believe in two ordinances. Does anybody know them? It's not too hard. Yep, communion and baptism, or communion and the Lord's Supper, or sorry, the Lord's Supper and baptism. Now you might be wondering, what is an ordinance? Because the straight definition of that is command. So aren't there lots of commands in the Bible? Why, why are there only two specific ordinances that you're highlighting? Well, I've heard it defined like this. An ordinance is a command from Christ given to the local church so that the local church can administer it for the sake of gospel proclamation. Did you follow that? An ordinance is a command of Christ that the local church ought to administer for the sake of gospel proclamation. And we as Baptists only understand there's two of those, the Lord's Supper and baptism. And this is in opposition to some denominations or or some groups, some people who think there are three. The third one, sometimes people say foot washing is an ordinance. But historically and biblically, there's no strong support of that. And this is also, again, in opposition to what Catholics believe, who believe in seven different sacraments. I don't want to detail those, but they Nonetheless, they believe in seven different sacraments. Baptists believe in two. Baptism, the Lord's Supper. B-A-P-T-I. Individual soul liberty. Individual soul liberty. Now, mind you, some of these uh, acronym things, they have to be bent to fit the acronym, right? That's how acronyms work sometimes. So it might sound a little clunky, a little awkward. Basically, I say this. Baptists have been champions of religious liberty, of freedom of religion. And here's a little history for you. I thought this was fascinating as I was studying over these different things. When you go back to Virginia, the foundings of Virginia, keep in mind, Virginia was originally founded, right, in the 1600s, 1700s, and how they operated during that time. It was originally founded as a colony of England, all right? So in England, the official state religion was Anglicanism, or being an Anglican, or being a part of the Church of England. And in Virginia, as a colony of England, they adopted that mindset, they adopted that, the way they were governed and structured. So, in Virginia, 1600s, 1700s, every other denomination was illegal, except for being an Anglican. Now, to be clear, there's a slight caveat You could establish a Baptist church. You could establish a Presbyterian church, and there were some that did. But to do so, you had to have official licensing from the state. And I'm not talking about being tax-exempt. That's what I'm, or 501c3. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking, you had to have an official license to simply assemble and preach. Okay? You had to go through the government, and the, the death knell that, that you know, clutched a lot of people, you had to pay taxes to support the Anglican church. Which if you're going to, you understand how nonsensical that is. So, rightly so, Baptists and others, but Baptists, I, I would say, taking the spearhead of this, they refused. They met, in, um, regardless of what the government was saying, they insisted on freedom of religion, freedom to worship as we, ought, as we want to worship, and because of that, Baptists and others were persecuted by the government in Virginia. Dozens of Baptist pastors, they were beaten and jailed 
right up until the time of the Revolutionary War in the 1770s. So James Madison, a Virginian, the fourth president of the U.S., he's the father of the Constitution, he witnessed firsthand this religious persecution in Virginia. And with Baptists having a very strong voice in all of this, they helped influence Madison to craft and to, to shape what you and I commonly hold to as religious liberty today. You ha- again, you have to understand the history here. You and I in today's world, today's culture, today's America, we think, yeah, of course, everybody should always be free to worship as they want to. That was not at all the case, particularly throughout all of history, right? This had to be fought for, had to be defended, had to be advocated for. And practically speaking today, Baptists don't believe in forcing people into the kingdom of God. Again, you take this for granted, but understand the history. You do not force people to be a part of a local church, a local denomination. Everyone has the freedom, the liberty to choose what to believe and how they will worship. Baptists spearheaded this movement, especially here in the U.S. And this also, I hope you see the tie-in here. This ties into a little bit about that um, autonomy of the local church thing, right? We don't want anybody out there, up here, to tell us what to believe locally. Like We as a local church think we know how to best govern ourselves. We want to worship in this way. We want to have a blend of modern music and old music, right? We don't want anybody up there telling, no, you have to get rid of the old, you have to get rid of the new. Every local person, every local body does that. And it's the same with individuals. Every individual has that liberty, that has that freedom to choose as they want to worship. B-A-P-T-I-S. Two more to go, and I'll be brief with these. S, saved, baptized, church membership. The, the common moniker for that is called regenerate church membership. So to be a member of a local church, you have to be a genuine Christian. You have to be born again. And you have to have been baptized as a believer. Now, several scholars say, and historians, they say that this right here is the foundational mark of what a Baptist is and why they started, how they came about, how that denomination started. It's this idea that a local church, the members of that church must be Christians, true, born-again Christians. You might take that for granted today. Look back at history especially throughout the 1500s and the 1700s. If you were a baby, you were baptized into either the Catholic Church or the Anglican Church when that sprung about, and then you you become a member of that church. Baptists are like, no, no, no. Um, Somebody who confesses Christ, they didn't necessarily put an age on it, right? You have to be 13 or whatever. But they said, you have to be a believer, and you have to profess Jesus personally. In other words, you can't just baptize a baby and they become members of the church, right? I'm not talking about, we're going to get into the weeds a little bit about what that means, why they do that, and, and how Baptists differ in that. Um, but, but to be a member of the church, right? This is what I'm talking about. You have to be a born-again Christian. That's what um, Baptists have believed historically. Lastly, the T, two offices. Two offices, that is... To govern a local church, there should be only two offices. The elder slash pastor, those two words are synonymous. So the pastor and the deacons. 
or the pastors and the deacons. This clearly comes from 1 Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to spend some time talking about that later on in the Baptist faith and message. But uh, again, this is an opposition to other denominations where they think there's a superior. Usually they use the word bishop or archbishop. But Baptists understand, no, there's only two, pastor and deacon. So, in conclusion, why do we go over all this stuff? Why are we going over the Baptist identity? Well, church so that we might be united together in the truth and around a common identity, right? This is key, a common identity, beginning in our own local household of faith. As you know, a church that is divided against itself cannot stand, made famous by Jesus, later made famous by Lincoln as well, stating that. And you know that practically. I don't know if you've ever been a part of a church that where there's been division, like vibrant, nasty division. A church is paralyzed. It can't do gospel work because it's infighting. You're always worrying about correcting and fixing and, and, and cor- yeah, correcting the other person, and sometimes in a much more nasty fashion. So the reason we strive for unity isn't for unity's sake. It's for the sake of gospel work, so that we might be an active church being obedient to God's call to spread the gospel. And over the next few months, I hope you'll be eager to work together to wrestle through some doctrines as we cultivate and maintain unity in the Spirit. Because again, I want to close by reading Ephesians 4, 1 to 6. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bonds of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Church, the goal for unity is big, it's daunting, it's hard, but we have to begin somewhere, and I suggest let's begin locally in this church by reviewing our, our beliefs, our doctrine, and our teaching. Will you join me in prayer, and then we'll close with the doxology. Our Father, as I've already acknowledged this morning, and as is true, there are many different denominational backgrounds represented here, uh, different emphases, different opinions, And that's all right, Lord. In the midst of the unity that you've called us to, there is still diversity among the body of Christ. But we ask that you'll please help us to be united in the truth, be united in the important doctrines. And in those things that there can be uh, differences, such as church government, and and even as important as baptism is, as, as those who may have differing opinions on baptism, Please help us to have charity. Please help us to have grace and love to those who may differ from us on specifics. But again, we ask for wisdom and clarity around, so that we might have unity around what's most important, the most important things that we should believe and adhere to. Jesus, we know that you are united with uh, the Trinity amongst yourself. You have one mind and one heart with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. Please give us that same heart, that same mindset, 
as we consider others above ourselves, and is in this process over the next couple weeks and months, please help us to be um, wise and winsome in the way that we look at these distinctives of what it means to be a Baptist. Lord, this is not where we plant our flag. This is not what's most important in life, uh, because what's most important in life is that we are Christians. But nonetheless, understanding our distinctives, our heritage, and where we stand today is important as a local body. Please give us wisdom as we do so. Give us love where we may disagree. And in all things, may you be glorified. We commit these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen.